Hey everyone, this is Caitlin, and I'm here with my dog Kevin, and you guys are listening to Sinister Sightings with a Paranormal Chase. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 104. And you just heard Caitlin and Kevin. Though Kevin was kind of silent. He's the strong but silent type. Mm-hmm. He could have done a rut row. Isn't that what the guy's name is that plays Silent Bob? Kevin Smith? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, Carrie's on it tonight, y'all, so. Well, it's about fucking time because I was not on it today at all. Like... Writing the wrong words, confusing my left and my right, like all kinds of things today. So it's about fucking time. You know? Imagine that. I didn't know all of it. I just knew enough so that you could put the pieces together for me. (laughs) That's how we're a duo. Just like Caitlin and Kevin. Well, it doesn't matter if you're a duo, a trio, solo, whatevs. If you want to do an intro like Caitlin... Head on over to patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. And y'all have heard us say all the extra bonus content that you get over there. And introduce an episode is just another one of the bonus perks that you get over there. Okay, on to the show. Hey, y'all. So to start, I absolutely love your podcast. And I hope this isn't too long or boring for y'all. So here goes. I work at a group home facility for MRDD adults out in BFE, Ohio. Seriously, all we have is corn, beans, and like one tree. (laughs) Just one tree. Oon tree right there. All the fields and one tree. (laughs) Prior to being a group home, the property used to belong to an orphanage, and the current facility actually sits next to the old girl's home. There's a book about the orphanage written by two men who used to live there. It's super interesting, but does list a lot of the abuse and death that happened on the property. Anyways, so I've worked at the facility for going on three years now, and lots of spooky shit has happened. My first experience was when I was fairly new, and I was sitting in the living room of one of the houses waiting for my relief to show up. It was about 10.30 p.m. or so, and all of the residents had been in their rooms asleep for about two hours by that point. I was sitting in a chair that had a view of the hallway and the bedroom doors when one of the bedroom doors opened. It was completely shut, so a draft couldn't have opened it. I went to check it out and see if my resident was awake, but she was fast asleep. Another instance happened when I was working third shift. All of the houses on campus have a recreation room for the residents to watch TV, play games, have alone time, etc. It was about 3 a.m. and I was getting cleaning supplies from the laundry room, which is next to the rec room. As I'm walking out of the laundry room, a toy goes off in the rec room. I thought it was weird and said so out loud to myself. I shit you not, as soon as I said, that's some creepy shit, the TV started playing a movie. This is the same TV that had been shut off since 11 p.m. and all of my residents were passed out. My most recent creepy incident happened about two months ago. I'm again sitting in one of the living rooms waiting for my relief and it's about 10.30 p.m. again. I heard shoes squeaking down the hallway and I thought it might be one of my residents. 
I get up to check, and you guess it, all of them are sound asleep and snoring. I feel attacked. (laughs) Get a CPAP. (laughs) I've also seen shadows running down the hallway, out the doors, or into rooms out of the corner of my eyes. And a few of the residents like to talk to Jenny. Jenny died on campus around 10 to 15 years ago. I have a few more stories, but I don't want to bore y'all or make this email too long. Thanks for reading. Creep it real and don't get scared, y'all. Okay, not ever going to bore us and not long at all. One thing off the top of my head when you said that's some spooky shit and the TV turned on, I wonder what it was playing. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, hmm. but if like the ghost was trying to comfort you. Right. Was it something like, oh, here's Nickelodeon. Yeah. Or just something that that person that was their thing, like Ever After is one of my movies that I had on my DVR all the time. So if I freaked myself out or whatever, watched a scary movie, I could go to sleep watching Ever After. So even if it wasn't a, like, a, you know what I mean? It could have been their Ever After that it played. So I think that's why that TV came on. Or conversely, it could be like, oh, you think that shit's scary? Bloop, TV. Very true. In that case, was it like... I don't think it would matter what it came on. It just the fact that it... <laughs> but like, just the fact that it was like, bloop. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Just showing its power. If it was... Literally. Thing. Yeah. It's electrifying personality. Oh. oh. <laughs> At least it has one. I know. I have to deal with you every day. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I told you she's on it, y'all. <laughs> okay, the next one is sinister sightings, question mark, sensitive to the paranormal, question mark, and more. Hey, ladies, my name's Paula from Tennessee, and y'all are amazing and keep me sane when I have to work on overnights at work. We aren't allowed music, and it sucks, so sneaky podcast listening it is then. I'm 27 and an extra-large pizza, so your girl understands all the references. My birthday is on August 13th, a Friday to be exact, so your girl has that spookiness as is. I already apologize because I'm not very good at grammar, so sorry in advance. I'm currently listening to y'all right now as I'm typing this. So I have a ton of stories from the crazy experiences and stories I've been told while at college and stories from reenactments that I've been to, including shadow people. However, this is already long enough, so I think I'll only tell you one from when I was little. This happened right before a family vacation. So picture it. Early 2000s, back when family vacations didn't include computers and cell phones, when everyone thought I was a psychic, or at least that's how I felt. We were on the way to Dollywood, my favorite place. I remember my dad needed to find a Walmart, and I told my dad where it was up the road, and no one had seen the sign. But sure enough, there it was, right where I said it was. Then I said that Dolly herself would be in the parade at Dollywood in a pink Cadillac convertible and wearing all pink. Sure enough, she was, and it scared the entire family at the time. I was still small at the time, so I'm sure it was spooky. I was just having fun with, I told you so. Again, you could argue it was coincidence, but I really can't grasp what it was. 
I'll write in soon about the shadow people and other creepy stuff I've experienced, but until then, creep it real and don't get scared. Paula, the extra large pizza from Tennessee. I need more on these reenactments. Yeah. Also, what all did y'all do in Dollywood? (laughs) Also, was she wearing all pink in the pink Cadillac? Because that is very specific. So if that was all correct, like... Yeah, because she's not always there, huh? Right, right. So, I mean, that in itself is like, oh, okay. But you could have just been guessing on that. But if it was like, bam, 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 all of those were correct, it's not a coincidence. And you still have these same, like, permission, you're right type things now. Obviously, we have questions. Please follow up. Also, shout out to you being a Leo, though. Okay, the next one is called... Am I Zac Efron's body double? Hi, Donna and Carrie. First off, so, so happy to know that Donna is okay after the blood clot scare. Oh my gosh, I am. But holy shit, I just talked to Iris about that last night. Uh, On Discord, just a little plug. So if you join the Creepinati, we can chat about my blood clot scare. What's the Creepinati, Donna? It's what we call Patreon. You know, i.e., Patreon.com slash the ABC podcast. Mm-hmm. You get a Discord chat with us. That. Okay. All my positive wishes still go in y'all's way. I found your show a few years ago when I was touring with a band and looking for podcasts to listen to on long drives and have been a huge fan since. Paranormal and true crime stuff is always interesting to me, but the tone of some podcasts can get A, too serious and heavy, or B, too cheesy when they try to be too serious, so I was hooked when I found one that is two besties chatting and being silly and hilarious while covering engaging stories. Anyway, my story is pretty lighthearted one about a very vivid dream, question mark, I had about a year ago. I felt I was abducted by people and made to act in a movie like a puppet. They were somehow able to use the bodies of sleeping people as stand-ins for celebrities. The best part, I was the stand-in for Zac Efron. Mind you, I'm a man who is in the same age range as Zac. Okay, so we're on a first-name basis. (laughs) I mean, his agent called his agent. Right. But I'm an extra small pizza. More like just the crust, to be honest. Not <laughs> not a hunky Zac Efron paleo pie. <laughs> also, why did I just be like, did he have pepperoni nips? Why did I think that? And of course, that's where you went. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with me? But somehow, I appeared as him on camera. They could control my body remotely, and I could see and hear what was happening the whole time, but I couldn't speak or control my movement at all. I wish I remembered more of what the scenes and the set looked like in case any of his movies that come out in the future bear resemblance. I do believe I was shirtless at one point, though. Lord. I gathered that Zach was busy, and this was some service they used to get more scenes done when actors were unavailable. I know this sounds like nothing but a strange dream so far, but the end is the part that freaked me out a bit. 
When the filming was over, two workers laid me on this stretcher and brought me back to my bed. One of them took out this nasal spray bottle, those allergy spray pilgrim hat looking ones that go up your nose a little and said to the other, this should make him forget everything. And then as soon as he pumped it into my nose, I woke up in real life with an abnormally strong inhale through my nose. But I could still remember, of course, I felt the urge to get up and run out of the room and lie there for a few minutes with my eyes tightly shut out of fear that if I shot up in a panic, they would know I remembered and do something else to me. I know a vivid and kooky dream isn't all that odd, but it was that weird sensation of the nasal spray perfectly coinciding with a deep inhale that made me feel different and left me paranoid the whole day. I was literally looking over my shoulder at work all day thinking someone would come for me if they realized I knew about this clandestine Hollywood service. But then I was also like, I mean, being Zac Efron, maybe not so bad. All right, fine. Come take me again soon. (laughs) Much love to y'all. Maybe I'll send in another in the future about me and a friend's attempts at astral projection when we were younger. Yes. Creep it real and don't get scared, Chris C. Okay, the logical side of me is that the nose spray inhale thing right when you woke up was probably you were like catching your breath. Like you're probably having like a sleep apnea moment and we're like (gasps) trying to breathe. You know, or you were really abducted by aliens. I don't know. I'm going to go with sleep apnea, but Donna's going to go with aliens. He did not say aliens. Okay. These could be real people. Mm Mm-hmm. That sounded like men in black shit. Yeah. But uh, Hollywood types have that money. So they were like... um, Bloop, bloop. mm Mm-hmm. But like... (laughs) Yeah, that was much better. (laughs) Oh, my God. I actually did one, right? But seriously, like, uh, Elon Musk, uh, we need a stand-in thing. Let's uh, blah, 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 blah. Like, we need body snatchers, but for reals, though. And they probably said, Flonase, we can do something with you if we... (laughs) They all got stuff worked out. We will put product placement in movies if you help us with this and blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you. I literally just used Flonase. I know you did. <laughs> I gotta tell you twice. You saw the man come in for my body doubles. I don't know why I have boy body doubles. <laughs> See, they can't get you on that, though, when you're sleeping, because you got the CPAP. You're mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. The inner workings of Hollywood is wild. Mm-hmm. And people will do what they have to do to get their film made, to get... Whatever done, you know, like we can have Zach Efron, but we can only have him for four days, but we need to get these other shots. But we have the perfect guy, but he can't know about this because it's top secret and blah, 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 blah. I could see it. Or it sounds like a really good movie that someone needs to write for Hollywood. Right. M. Night Shalomana Hook a sister up. Because that sounds like something he could... Really put some twists and turns in there. That's so true. Chris, get the rights to that. <laughs> also, just another little thing about Discord. Chrissy, the writer here, he plays games with us on Discord. And he's freaking amazing at drawing. And he also gifted us some earrings. 
But for real, for real, I am all about astral projection. I really want to cover that, so you should send in your stories. On to the next one. Hey ladies, recently I have written in a few times to you guys. I love your podcast and it definitely gets me through the day. I recently became a member of the Creepinati and I love that too. I have millions of stories, but I don't want to overload y'all. I do have one story though that I think might interest y'all. It's true crime. Let me just apologize now in case this gets lengthy. I'll try to make it as short as possible, but include all the important details. I live in the Midwest. I live in Illinois, but no more than 15 minutes away from St. Louis, Missouri. There's two bridges, one that goes into the city and one to the county. When I was a kid, I went to this babysitter and she was a little crazy. We all thought, that's just her. Well, we would be in the car driving back to her house. And on this exit ramp, she would always point down to this grassy, rundown area and say, there used to be homeless people there until they started finding bodies. We always just thought she was being crazy or trying to scare us until one day we were driving on that ramp and there were all kinds of cops and flashing lights down there. I was really young and didn't put two and two together. However, my husband is almost 17 years older than me and he works down in that area. He did then and still does now. Side note, in my free time, I like to look on NamUs and try to match unidentified bodies that have been found with missing persons, or I try to match the MO to serial killers. I know, it's weird. My best friend and husband make fun of me for it. I think I miss my calling. This will be important. Hold on to that. So I was doing my thing, and I was off work because I had just had surgery, so I had plenty of time to research. I was going down new rabbit holes every day, and I started posting statuses on Facebook, asking if any of my other friends had known about the things I was researching. One of my friends, who's into the same type of stuff I am, gave me a tip. She's also on NamUs. So I start looking into what she's telling me about. This serial killer from St. Louis, Missouri. His name is Mari Travis. From 2000 to 2002, he was going downtown in St. Louis and East St. Louis, Illinois, and picking up sex workers. He would take them back to his house in Ferguson, Missouri, which is like a suburb of St. Louis. He would do coke or crack with them, and then he would start belittling them, like telling them how terrible of a person or mother they were, telling them that they shouldn't have gotten into a truck with a stranger, all the things. Then he would tie them up, rape them, abuse them in every way possible. And he would do all of these things while videotaping them. Wow. What a piece of shit. And since this was in the early 2000s, he kept all the tapes. He would dump their bodies after he killed them either in East St. Louis, Illinois, or West Alton, Missouri, which is right across the bridge from East St. Louis. He thought because they were sex workers that no one would care about them. Several bodies were found. He was able to stay under the radar for way too long, and when he eventually got arrested, it took the police so long to actually go talk to him. A month after he was arrested, before they could ask him about any of the bodies, he died by suicide in his jail cell. 
he actually was finally found out about because a neighbor saw a naked girl running from his house. But when the police searched his house, they found the video from the first victim. And it was awful. It was titled Wedding Day. And he referred to her as First Kill. And in a disgusting, monotone voice, said he enjoyed it, basically, and that she was nice. I can't remember it word for word, but who would want to? The police who did the search said it was absolutely awful. All the while, this motherfucker had a whole fucking girlfriend in life besides raping and murdering women. And Mari Travis's mom still owned that house for years after that. Everything he did took place in the basement of that house. Years later, a lady moved into that house and had no idea that any of this had taken place there. Until her friend watched a true crime show and told her to watch this specific episode where she saw her house and all the terrible shit this disgusting motherfucker did to women there. So remember I told you to hold on to that whole me looking up unidentified bodies that have been found and trying to match them up? Well, there was a black woman's body found in Columbia, Illinois, which is like 15, 20 minutes away from East St. Louis. And she died in the same way as the other women. Everything was the same as all of Mari Travis's victims. She was never identified or claimed by anyone, so maybe she was a sex worker. Maybe it's a reach. I don't know. I'm just saying it sounds like she could be a victim of his. Also, it's been said by police that he killed 17 to 20 women. They didn't find 20 women, so where are they? I want to say, after researching, I believe they found something like 11 bodies. I can't remember exactly, but I have it all written down somewhere. I know I'm probably leaving out a lot of details, but y'all should look him up and see the story for yourself. It's a crazy one. Sorry this got so long. Please never stop making new episodes. I live for them, Amanda. That's heavy, and that's so sad. And sad so many victims because of who he chose as the victims were considered like the less dead air quotes around that. Because we know that surely if you listen to this podcast at this point, you know that I think that that's fucking bullshit. Me too. As a con. I mean, yes, me too. too. Yes. But as a concept, but that it took that long to like, I don't know. Jesus. The videotapes. And see again, morbid curiosity. Like I want to hear them, but now after the whole toy box killer thing that, um, mm, I'm learning my lesson. Be careful what you wish for. Yes, because I wanted to hear him say his whole little monologue. And then I heard and I was like, nope, I never, I don't want to ever. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah. Like it was too real. You know, like, mm mm-mm. It's one thing to hear the stories and to read the news stories and to hear podcasters tell the stories or even hear the stories from the police officers themselves. But Sometimes when you hear it straight from the killer or when you hear their confession tapes, but more so when you hear like the 911 calls for me, the 911 calls or stuff like that, like those private tapes, like like his recordings and like this guy's tapes and stuff that they never wanted anybody else to see. That's when you're like getting into their like nitty gritty stuff where you're like, nope, this is too real. Even if it's a recounting from them, no, this is like actual real-time 
shit. Yeah, and it was them like that, like the toy box killer. It <sighs> because you well, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost like we did an episode on him. So go back and listen if you hadn't listened. But he had the recording that he would play for women in between of torturing them of like basically no you're a piece of shit and you're gonna lay here and i'm gonna be back and i'm gonna keep torturing you Mm -hmm. and so it's knowing what they've been through what they're about to go through the story and then hearing him say those things is just so real you know yeah and it's just so scary like it it truly is your worst nightmare Yes. Well, and all of that is what I was trying to say with my fragmented sentences that I was trying to piece together. But also with that recording, he was himself, but he was he was that evil part of him because he... So he was his truest self. Yeah. And so he was just like evil to them, how he spoke to them, how whatever, because like you said... He didn't plan on anyone else hearing that besides his victims. Mm -hmm. So he... Could take the mask off. uh Uh-huh. And same with this guy, I'm assuming, with the videotapes. Like, that's why I was like, kind of want to know... Like, I don't want to see the torture and all, but, like, just to hear him talk about it or whatever, just to hear it, but then also know. Because how she just said, like, monotone, and just to hear, like, no remorse, no... Whatever, like, that would probably make my skin crawl. And you, it would be something you'd never get out of your head. Yeah, like that. I I think about that all the time. Which is why we're so lucky to have law enforcement that do this for us on the fucking day in and day out. Yes. Live this and breathe this and eat and sleep this so that we get this watered down version of it that is palatable. And we can be true crime fans, air quotes, and it's palatable because it's not that. Yeah. And there are people who are really into that aspect of it. And I'm not here to say whether that's right or wrong, but I think for the masses, we kind of like the more watered down version. There are times where you want some more like, no, I want a little more detail. Yeah. No, I want a little more. No, I want to see the crime scene photo. You know, there are times where you're yeah. like, yeah, no, I want a little more of the the gruesome, the intricacies of it. But globally, we tend to want a more mm-hmm. watered down version or you'd be in law enforcement. Right. That's why I like the Night Stalker documentary. People said it was more gruesome, but it was just more. Real? More real, but it wasn't in an exploitative way. Yeah. All right, this one is called 9-11 Sinister Sightings. Hey, Donna and Carrie, it's Elphaba. I love your podcast so much. Thank you for doing this. This story is pretty long and related to true crime. I just wanted to give a trigger warning. The story is about 9-11. I have not included names in any of the stories to protect everyone's identity. Before we get into any of the heavy stuff, let me share my personal experience air quotes around experience. I was only one and a half. I was born in March 2000, in case you didn't feel like doing the math, when 9-11 happened. I don't have any memories of the towers or the event, but I did get to see the towers earlier that year. I was, in fact, the last person born in my family to see them. I even have pictures of me in front of the towers. 
It's not really relevant to the rest of the email, but for some reason, I'm really proud to say that I saw them. Despite having no memories of the event, I have been told these stories countless times. I had multiple family members in and around this tragedy. This includes cousins who worked in the Twin Towers and something with my mom that I will explain later in the email. Also, multiple family members were first responders in 9-11. However, they are not the focus of the email. My family was involved in almost every part of this event, but thankfully, no one in my family died. These are a series of close calls surrounding the events that my family experienced. On that day, I had two cousins who worked in the towers and one cousin who was in the towers for a business meeting. The cousin that was there for a business meeting was the brother of one of the other cousins who was also supposed to be at that meeting. The person they were scheduled to meet with never showed, and since they had some time to kill now that the meeting was off, they decided to run around the corner and get some coffee. As they got their coffee, the first plane hit. Had the person they were meeting shown up, they both would have died due to the floor the meeting was on, one of the planes directly impacted. The third cousin was in the tower when it struck, but on a lower floor. Side note, part of the reason so many people died that day was because when the buildings were first hit, many of the workers on the floors below were initially told to stay put. The buildings were thought to be stable enough to withstand the strike, and therefore evacuation did not immediately take place. Now back to the story. My cousin was one of those workers. He was told to stay put. Well, he didn't listen. When he found out what was happening, he hauled ass out of the building and thankfully survived. As I said before, my mom was involved, but I didn't explain how. Here's the story. Way back in the mid to late 2000s, my mom signed up for a baby and me class. While doing whatever in the hell is involved in this class, I was the baby, so I don't know, she met and became friends with all the other moms. They still go to lunch every few months, 20 years later. One woman who had just had twins happened to be a flight attendant, henceforth known as FAF for flight attendant friend. Fast forward to late summer 2001, and my mom needs to fly for a conference. So she decides to look for a flight that her FAF will be on. I don't know how common this is now or even was back then, but FAF almost always worked with the exact same crew, the same flight attendants and same pilots. And she finds out that FAF and the entire crew are booked to work a flight that will get her where she needs to go. So she purchases a ticket. A week or so out from the flight, FAF, but not the rest of the crew, ends up having to switch to a later flight to the same location. She informs my mom to switch as well and that she could get my mom first class seats. So my mom switches flights. And it's a good thing she did because that original flight was the one that crashed into the Pentagon. Holy shit. The crew of that plane was the one that FAF usually worked with, and they all died. She often speaks at memorial services due to losing so many close friends at once. She retired from being a flight attendant and now works as a dental hygienist with her husband, who is a dentist. They are our dentist, and despite 
living three hours away for the last seven years, we still make that trek to see them for our dental checkups every six months. I even listened to your podcast on the way to and from when we went last time. As crazy as it seems, there is one more piece to my story I haven't mentioned yet. My mom was pregnant with my brother at the time. I have one more connection with the Twin Towers and 9-11, but no one else almost died. At least not that day. My dad worked in Manhattan for a while before I was born, and while he was working there, he stayed in the hotel in the Twin Towers. One day when he was showering, he touched the soap holder in the wall and it broke. It ended up slicing his wrist open and he almost bled out in the shower. This began a very long lawsuit between him and the hotel corporation. He wanted them to compensate him for the soap holder almost killing him. They fought it and it took several years to settle the suit. After fighting for so long, a meeting was scheduled to settle in New York. By this time, I was alive. My dad had to go to this meeting in New York, and my mom had to go to a work conference. So they decided I would go with my dad, and one of my many relatives in New York would watch me during the meeting. So my dad and I are at the airport waiting for our flight to New York for the meeting later that day, and my mom is prepping to leave for her flight later that day to the conference when it happens. Yeah, the meeting was set for 9-11. We, of course, didn't make it to that meeting, and my mom never went to that conference due to all flights being grounded. The suit was settled a few days later when flights resumed. My dad actually did see some of the wreckage. At this point, a few of the fires were still burning, and he said you could taste it and feel grit in your mouth from the air. One final thing regarding 9-11— While I do have first responders in my family, they tend to talk about their experiences less due to how terrible it was, and therefore I felt I shouldn't include their stories out of respect for them and the fact that I know so little detail from them. But I still want to take a moment to thank everyone who helped deal with this tragedy. Additionally, as I have already stated, my family is connected to essentially every aspect of this tragedy, except one. And that is the deaths. Everyone in my family survived, but I know of a lot of people were not so fortunate. So because of that, I also want to take a moment to honor the victims of 9-11. So these are my stories relating to 9-11. Hope you enjoyed them. Love you so much. Creep it real and don't get scared. Alphaba. Wow. There's so many stories like that. of It's these split-second decisions. I mean, it's this domino effect of people's lives yes i mean again if that one person hadn't overslept i don't know if that's why they didn't come to the meeting but your two cousins would have been in that meeting you know and they wouldn't have been able to go get the coffee and and then it's just like this huge domino effect yeah you know if their doctor ever says like you need to stop drinking so much caffeine i'd be like coffee saved my life Mm-hmm. You can't tell me to stop drinking coffee, okay? Coffee saved my life. They'd be like, all right, I've heard this for 45 years now, but coffee saved my life. <laughs> I really would say that. But wow. Those are very, very powerful stories. They really are. I love stories like that. One, because they have happy endings. But two, because it really shows like, your life can change in an instant. 
which also gives me incredible anxiety. Yeah. I'll never forget that Julie from Real World New Orleans, like she was supposed to get on a flight, overslept, and then she woke up from people freaking out. And she's like, what? And she was supposed to be on that flight. We have so much anxiety that we can't oversleep for stuff like that. Not a flight. No. Uh -uh. No. No. (laughs) We have so much anxiety. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But you're right that your family was very lucky and a lot of people were not so fortunate. And that is heartbreaking. I don't know why I didn't know that, that the lower floors were told to not evacuate at first. And Lord knows my mama watched enough 9-11 stuff. My mama did too. I mean, and I watched it with her. I mean, don't get me wrong. But she still, every anniversary, like, records, 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 records. If my mom understood the internet more so than a, you know, Facebook shortcut on her desktop, she would have been a top Redditor on 9-11 conspiracies and information and Natalie Holloway. Those were her two cases. Okay, the next one. Ladies, I love y'all so much. Not sure if this story is exciting enough to include in a sinister sightings, but I thought it would be fun to share. If nothing else, I hope you enjoy this true story. The women in my family have a weird sixth sense when it comes to a lot of things. When I was a girl, my family moved into a home we inherited from my grandma after her passing. My uncle had previously lived at the home, and he suffered from schizophrenia and lit the house on fire before being moved to assisted living. This house has a weird history with fire. After the incident with my uncle, the house caught fire again because of a fire next door that spread to this house. It just seems highly coincidental that this house almost burned down multiple times. After my grandma passed, my father did the majority of the renovation needed to make this house livable. It was a two-story home with the first floor having more like a basement feel to it. The ceiling was very low with little natural light. My father made the decision to let half of the first floor be sort of a shop and storage for him with his work as a mechanic and a carpenter, and we lived on the second story as a completely separate home. There was this one room on the first floor sectioned off from his shop that my mom used for storage, and it terrified me. It was the only room of this floor somewhat sectioned off from the rest of my dad's shop area, and you had to walk down this dark hallway to get to it. There was no door to enter the room, but when you entered this space, it just felt different, heavier. I can't really describe it, but that sixth sense just gave me a sense of dread and foreboding about the room in which my cousin also shared. My cousin was five years older than me and often acted as a sister slash babysitter while our mothers visited. Well, one day when I was about seven or eight at the time, my cousin wanted us to go into the storage room. Not so much to play, more like a dare because it scared us both. So we decided to take turns going into the room alone. Just to set the scene, the dare started in a separate section of the basement where you had to open the door to enter the shop area, then turn right to start down the dark, lightless hallway. At the end of the hall, it's a dead end. And if you turn left, you enter this storage room. 
Now, I went into the room first and felt this intense fear and dread. There was only one window in this room, which was the only source of light as well. After I entered the room, I turned around quickly to exit, and in the beam of light from the window, I saw a hand. Now, it didn't look like a flesh and blood hand. Imagine a shadow cast by a person. That's what I saw there in the middle of the sunbeam, clear as day. It was clearly an outstretched hand with all five fingers spread visible up to the forearm, which disappeared into the darkness that surrounded that one source of light. I didn't want to believe what I was seeing and decided the best thing to do was to walk right through the shadow hand to prove to myself that it wasn't real. Big mistake. As I walked through it, I became ice cold. I could see my breath come out in a tiny cloud, and it was hard to move, but I forced myself around the corner, down the spooky hall, and back through the door to my cousin. I refused to ever go back into that room alone, needless to say. They didn't sign it, so I don't know if I should say their name or not. No, thank you. Yeah, I was about to say, no, not going back in that room. Nope, uh -uh. uh-uh. Mm-mm. Cold, bad feeling, no thanks, I'm out. Uh Uh-uh. See, I thought you were going to say it was your cousin playing a trick on you, like, you know. But no, when you said that your breath changed and it got, mm mm-mm. I mean, I love cold weather, but uh, not when you're inside and it's supposed to be cozy. Right, and that it was harder to walk through it. Like, oh, no, no. I don't even like strobe lights because it makes me feel like I'm walking slower. No. Do they not trip you out? Strobe lights? Hell yeah. Am I walking in slow motion or am I fast? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, advice on creeps following you. Hi, y'all. I have always wanted to say that y'all part being from Wisconsin. I'm a new listener and I love the show. I heard about y'all from listening to True Crime Obsessed. I just listened to the episode where the creeper followed the sisters after leaving McDonald's. A similar thing happened to me back in college. Two very scary men were following me in my little Honda Accord, and this was in the early 90s before cell phones. I was so freaked out. Every turn I made, they made too. I started to drive out of town on the back roads, then thought, oh shit, this is worse. They can run me off the road and no one's around. So I got back on the highway never stopping my car, just pausing at lights and stop signs. And I kept thinking, I wish I would just see a cop. Then I thought, wait a minute, I'm just going to drive to the nearest police station. So that's what I did. And the creepos were right behind me until I turned into the parking lot of the cop shop. Then they sped off and that was the end of it. Creep it real friends, Heidi. Seriously, that is the best advice Go there. Like, don't try to go to your house or don't go to your friend's house or anything. Because like Carrie's story, the lady who thought she was being followed went in and closed the door on the garage. But then those people went to another house trying to look for her. And they ended up doing terrible things to the people that they found. Remember that? It oh, was yeah. the ATM robbers. Oh, and yeah. Stuff. Definitely remember. But it's like... Okay, so if, like, I came to Carrie's house, okay, it's me and Carrie, then I put her in danger, or if her garage doesn't open up fast enough, or, you know, like, whatever. 
you know, like if the car's coming in, I can't turn fast enough into her place, whatever. Go to the police. Although it is not her fault, though, that because she went home. Oh, no, they, no, no, I, no, 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 no. I'm just clarifying. It is not yeah. her fault that because she went home, then they went to another person's house. Oh, no. That they. They were terrible people. Yeah. It is not her fault that those people were murdered. Yeah. No, they were just wanting to do whatever. And they were like, oh, we can't find her. But uh, this house looks nice. And the thing is, is that they were looking for rich people and they got college kids, like fresh out of college kids, but they didn't care. Yeah. Go back and listen to that episode because that was, I was on the edge of my fucking seat there and she, she got me. I did not figure that one out. I don't know. My mom always said that if like a police is following you or something, because I live further out in the country, but like, go into my house, there's not a lot of light. But she was like, if you, if there's a cop and they're following you, but you don't feel safe, like, pulling over where there's no light, call 911 and say, hey, there's a cop following me here. You know, like, I'm I'm going to pull over, but I am waiting till I get to blah, blah, blah. You know, like, whatever. And it's like, you hate to be that person because I'm a person that hates to feel like I'm bothering people. You know, like, this really isn't important that I'm calling you because a cop's following me, that I don't know if it's a cop. But then you also don't want to be that person that's like, oh, man, if I would have just called. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just most importantly, don't go home. Don't show them where you live. All right. Last story. This one is, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Hey, ladies, listen, I love this podcast and legit you two make my day when a new episode is posted. I found you on a random search for some new spooky shit to get myself irrationally scared of every damn shadow or pick up my once tamed childhood habit of checking behind the shower curtain every time nature calls. Well, I found you and cackled at my desk day in and out at work until I finally binged through the entire podcast to today. Thank you sincerely. Work is fucking boring. So let's dive into this story. Buckle up. It may be a long one. I have been seeing family members that passed away since I was a child. And after talking to a few people, we've determined that I may have some slight sensitivities to the paranormal. We'll start with my great-grandmother, or as I called her, Abuelita. We moved into her old house a few years after she passed away. My aunt, who was living there before us, moved out, and my sly single mama swooped in on the house with her two kids, making it the first home she had ever owned and the first home we had ever lived in. I was nine and my brother was three. We knew Abuelita's house had some activity. Things happening at the house ranged from hearing music and party chatter coming from the living room, small objects going missing and ending up in odd places, like my brush went missing and was found in the microwave. We could smell fresh tortillas in the kitchen, but no one would be in the kitchen making them. And finally, neighbors would see the blinds open like someone was peeking out, but no one would be home. 
One night, I was 11, I think, and my mom needed to run to the store and couldn't find anyone to watch us. So she entrusted me to put myself and my brother to bed while she ran down the street. Me feeling like the queen of the fucking castle, I bossed my brother all the way to bed and proceeded to get ready. Well, I couldn't find my toothbrush. I shrugged and said something to the house about hiding my things and went to bed. I started dozing off and heard our bedroom door creak open and thinking it was my mom poking her head in to check in on us and let me know she was home, I sat up to say hi, but all I saw was darkness. Then she faded into the void, my abuelita. She passed when I was five or six and I don't have too many memories of her, but I knew it was her. She had a beautiful but very serious look to her face, but this time she was gray and she looked like a floating head and shoulders. We sat there for what felt like an hour, but was probably only about 10 seconds. I hear the front door unlock and mom walk in. Abuelita smirked and faded away. The next morning, my toothbrush was at the foot of my bed. When I was six, my aunt on my dad's side died in a car accident. She was my best friend when I spent summers with them. She was only 21 and had just graduated from nursing school, newly engaged, and it all ended with a patch of black ice on a cold night in January. I knew she was always around me and keeping an eye on me since I can remember. When I was in culinary school, I had early morning classes, worked two jobs, and most of the time forgot to set my alarm. One morning at 4.30 on the dot, I heard a soft but stern hey in my ear. I woke up to the smell of her sunflower perfume and goosebumps for days. Oh my God, I remember sunflower perfume. Mm -hmm. I had just enough time to get dressed and rush to class. She also stops by in dreams to say hi. It's always the same dream of me and her in her car laughing and singing to brown-eyed girl with her saying I love you right before I wake up. But one night she scared the hell out of me and thinking back on it now, I'm getting chills. I was living with my ex at the time and in the dream I walked into the house, all the lights were off, but I heard what I thought was music. When I got to the living room, I discovered it wasn't music, but chanting. It was his three daughters sitting in a circle in the middle of the room, candles all over, chanting and swaying back and forth. All that separated us was the couch. They suddenly stopped, and I see a hand come up over the back of the couch, pulling up the decomposed zombie-looking body of my aunt. She smiles as I slowly back up to the darkness of the kitchen. Her smile fades, and she mouths the word, run. And before I know it, a hand grabs my shoulder and pulls me back. I wake up to my ex trying to shake me awake due to me crying and screaming in my sleep. I believe it was a warning from her, because I soon found out how evil and manipulative my ex was, and I soon left him. About four years ago, we lost my Nana to a quick, vicious battle with cancer. We were very close, and losing her hit me hard. She told me the week before she passed that I'll know when she's around because she doesn't want to miss a thing. The morning of her funeral, I was finding it hard to get ready. I couldn't bring myself to say goodbye, and I sat in my bathroom and just cried. Suddenly, I hear a tap at my window. 
Looking up, I see a little bright red cardinal, and I remember that my Nana used to tell us that if you see a cardinal, it's probably a loved one who's passed just checking in on you. I took it as her saying, girl, get your ass off the floor, wash your face, and get it together. So I did. I said goodbye to my Nana, but not for long. She checks in from time to time, just like my aunt in my dreams. In one dream in particular, I was on my way to pick up my grandfather for dinner with my daughter in the back seat. As I get closer, I see someone else waiting on the front porch with him, and it was Nana. He runs up to my car and says, make room for one more. My daughter clapping in the back seat, yelling, great Nana, over and over again. Nana gets in the car, kisses my cheek, and asks, how are you doing, Mamita? I miss you. I woke up to my daughter giggling in her sleep. I think Nana was checking in on us that night, and when I told my grandfather, he got a little misty-eyed and said he had a similar dream two nights before. Well, loves, that's all I have for now. Thank you for sticking with me for this long-ass story. I have quite a few I'll share another time, like how my daughter has a friend named Lily that only she can see, who looks wet and has scary makeup. Okay. Mm-hmm. Till next time, my beautiful friends, creep it real and look for signs from your lost loved ones checking in on you, Candace. That was the perfect one to end on. It really was. I love that. And I totally am the same way about red cardinals. Me too. Me too. But you know that the red cardinals are the males? Yeah, literally, I was just about to say that. And when you said, you know, I was like, she's going to say that the red cardinals, the pretty ones are the males. Yes, the I hate ones that. Are the females. Because that really pisses me off about nature. <laughs> uh, yeah, like peacocks, peacocks. The, the prettier ones are the males. Yeah. Uh-huh. Those are really the only two I know. And I only know the cardinals is because my neighbor, because me, my neighbor, and my dad used to sit out there and watch all the birds. <laughs> I definitely believe you have more than a little ability because you definitely connect with your loved ones. Uh, and clearly you pass it on to your daughter. So uh, send that story in. Uh-huh. Because I don't know what in the ring y'all got going on over there, <laughs> but something. Right? Well, if you want to send in a story, send it in to aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. It can be paranormal. It can be true crime. It can be creepy it can be funny it can be you know donna loves an ambient story oh yes you know she wants a haunted bridge story oh yes it can be short it can be long it can be medium also apparently we really love close call stuff this time we were like all into that one so send them all in one more time for the people in the back a paranormal chicks at gmail.com and remember creep it real and and don't don't get get scared. scared